You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome into NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and thanks for listening. I'm Lance Zerline, and with me is Anthony Becht on today's podcast. We're going to chat about Matthew Stafford's extension with Lions reporter Justin Rogers and fantasy football with Michael Fabiano of the NFL Network. But we're going to start off the podcast with Texans broadcaster Mark Vandermeer as he updates us on the fundraising efforts in Houston and how the damage from Hurricane Harvey may affect the team during the season. Mark, welcome into NFL No Huddle. We appreciate having you on, buddy. Well, Lance, great to hear your voice, and uh, I understand Nicole and the kids are okay, your home's okay and everything? Yeah, everything's good on my end. I just went out this morning and tried to help. You feel kind of... You feel kind of helpless watching other people, you know, go do things, and you you can't do anything from your home because you can't really get anywhere, and it's it's a useless feeling. And when you get a chance to, you just you want to go out and help. And I know that's what JJ Watt talked about in his video and was doing that now. The the Houston Texans, the game against the Dallas Cowboys, week four of the preseason was moved from Houston uh, to Dallas. And I know Anthony uh, and uh, yesterday we were talking about that. Uh, you know, some of the how that's going to play with the Texans. Like preparation for the game, Mark, versus the balance of players worried about family members or their own property or their their city here in Houston. Can you get a sense of of what's going on right now in Dallas as they prepare for that game and and how guys are trying to manage between, you know, the team stuff and the personal stuff? Yeah, I think it's a a weird dynamic. I mean, obviously, it's it's a tremendously strange dynamic for all involved with everything going on in Houston. But, you know, just from a pure football team context when you think about it these guys have been away from home for so long already they were at the Greenbrier for 24 days home for four full days before going to New Orleans and now they've been away for another week and with all this mystery going on uh, as to what is happening with their families I say mystery they know the families are safe uh, but they also know some of the homes have water in them I think I can't speak for everybody, but I believe that all the families of the players and members of the organization are certainly accounted for and safe at this point. And I'm, I'm sure there's damage here and there, uh, but that's a good thing that everybody's okay. But there's a helplessness here because you're in Dallas and the weather's nice here. Uh, and you're thinking, I'd love to be home helping. I'd love to be home helping my family, helping other families, helping Houston. And uh, and I'm in that situation, too, as the announcer of the team. I mean, we yeah. could not get back to Houston on Saturday night after the Saints game. And we came here, and you just felt like you just were useless. You're watching this thing play out on TV. I think it's difficult to concentrate on football under these circumstances. But you know, Lance, that the guys playing in this particular game, if there was one preseason game to have after this, it would be this one because these guys are all focused on continuing their careers. You know, with the new cut-down rule, you can theoretically play 37 guys who you you are going to cut the next day. So I think in that light – uh, it's it's okay to play this game, give these guys a chance. They need this opportunity, and we're going to use the game broadcast, TV and radio, as a fundraiser. So it's really not going to be about football all the way for the viewer. It's going to be about, hey, how can you help the people of Houston? And, oh, by the way, we're playing some NFL football for some mild entertainment under the circumstances. How, how do you see it playing out with – we remember after Katrina how – energized the Superdome was when the New Orleans Saints 
played the Atlanta Falcons, and it was just just such a tremendous game and a tremendous spectacle. And the Saints won, and 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 Steve Gleason had that block punt that we all remember so well. How do you see the the game against the Jaguars Week One playing out for the Texans? I mean, because in one sense, I think, well, boy, everyone's going to be. I know the city of Houston very well, as do you. I think everyone's going to be in the stadium. It's going to be loud. It's going to be very emotional. But at the same time, realistically. First of all, Jacksonville is an improved team with a very good defense. If we're going to talk about football, that is a truth, even though they don't have a quarterback right now. But also, I think the preparation leading up up to that is – there is still issues with with trying to balance what you have to balance on the football side versus you know making sure your mind is focused when it could be wandering into other issues. Yeah, I, I agree, and you know the history of this franchise and hurricanes. It's not very good. Katrina, for instance, yet all the evacuees who came to the Astrodome. And I remember rolling in after the fourth preseason game against Tampa. We were on the road. We got back at 2.30 in the morning, and the area was just – it was broad daylight almost. You had all these evacuees walking around the stadium and Astrodome area, and it was very strange. It it went on for weeks because you're practicing football, the players were, with the backdrop of Katrina evacuees – right next to you, and it just was strange, and I think it makes it hard to focus on the game of football for these guys, maybe not to the point where they're completely unable to play, but, you know, the edge in football, the the line is so fine. And then you have Ike, which, look, they started out 0-4 the Ike season. Now they've lost the first game against Pittsburgh, then Ike hit, and I think the next three games, they just didn't have the edge. They were close, but they just couldn't get over the hump. And I really believe that the seriousness of what was going on around them affected them. And no excuses, but I just think that it's difficult to really give it, not give it your all necessarily, but full total concentration on this game. And as you know, if there's one tiny thing wrong, it can often result in a loss. So football-wise, I'm hoping it doesn't affect them. I'm hoping it inspires them. But you know the damage in Houston, Lance. I mean, this is going to take years to really overcome so it'll be really interesting to see how it affects everybody. And, Mark, and this is Anthony Beck. Thanks for joining us today. I, I got to think, has any players been directly affected? Because I know when, like, when I played, guys lived close to the facility. Guys lived, you know, 25 miles away. So, again, has anybody been excused or any stories that you know of where anybody was kind of hit directly where, like, immediate action had to be uh, taking place? I've just heard some things here and there about water damage, but nothing gotcha. that serious. And to my knowledge, I don't think, and now I'm missing a media availability with the coach right now, but I don't think anybody's been uh, excused from here because there's really no way to get back in. You know, I think right. there's some routes you could take here or there, but it, it, it's so risky. I wanted to drive back yesterday when I heard about a voluntary evacuation at my home, and you know, luckily it hasn't flooded but I really couldn't figure out a way in, and I don't have a Sherman tank or something to get in there. So, uh, you know, I think everybody's sort of in the same boat, you know, pardon the pun, that they cannot get into Houston uh, if they wanted to. Now, that's going to change here in the next couple of days. You could start to get in. But I, I don't know if there's any situation that requires any player to leave immediately. Now, I could be wrong, but that's – that's to my knowledge as of uh, what's going on right now. So let's just hope for the best in that category. I just think it's, uh, you know, it's so hard to, to focus here. It's just a very weird situation to have what's going on in Houston and be here getting ready for this game. Mark, do you need to roll and get with uh, Coach O'Brien right now? No, it's okay. I got, I got okay. a couple of me. 
All right. Uh, hey, Deshaun Watson and Tom Savage. I'm I'm of the mind after watching Tom Savage for for a few years. He throws a pretty ball now. If you let him sit in the pocket, he can throw it accurately, and he can hurt teams. And he certainly knows where DeAndre Hopkins is, which is something that Brock Osweiler didn't seem to know. So those are all big check marks. But it, he's a little. It takes him a little bit of time to get through his progression sometimes he'll take more sacks than a lot of quarterbacks and we know that the fan base is going to be ready and cheering for for uh deshaun watson the first round pick every chance they get how locked in do you think bill o'brien is with uh uh, tom savage after last year he felt or after two years ago he felt like he pulled the trigger on replacing brian hoyer a little too early after really just the first half of the game uh in week one yeah, it's going to be interesting, Lance, because you look at what Watson brings to the table, the scrambling ability, not just running for yards, but just getting to the outside quickly, buying extra time, extending the play. That's something that Savage doesn't really do for you. But as you mentioned, Savage does has, does have the great arm. He does have a great grasp of this offense. He's got to play more football. He has not played enough. That's why I think these preseason reps or these offseason reps with the first team were so important. But after the first couple of weeks of training camp, he lost lost DeAndre Hopkins, and as you mentioned, that's such a great weapon to have with the big catch radius, and they were developing chemistry. I expect DeAndre to play week one. That's really going to help. But I believe that this team, look, they're not ready to break out offensively. They're still going to have to win games the way they were, which is, you know, eke out some kind of second-half score, hold on for dear life because you have one of the best defenses in the league, maybe the best front seven in the league, and that's how they're going to have to earn wins until this offense matures. And I'm not so sure when that's going to be. They've been killed by injuries. When you look at what they've got wide receiver-wise and you look at C.J. Fedorowicz being out and you look at Dwayne Brown not being here in camp, if you go to a three-wide set, Last week against the Saints, they were missing five offensive starters. So it's no wonder why it's difficult to really get gelled, to get consistency and chemistry with this offense. So I believe it'll start to take shape once you get people back. I hope Dwayne comes back. You know, the checks are going to start coming in, and I think he would – I would think that he would want to be a part of that. We'll see what he says and does. But I think once they get their their bullets going, they're going to be pretty powerful. But it's going to take some – time to just get it together mark add on to you know obviously uh you know i keep my eyes on the tight end position being that i played that and you do have a guy that to me when you talk about complete tight ends guys that can pass protect run routes block uh came off a huge year last year with 54 catches how's that quad doing right now with cj fedora what's everybody thinking do they feel good about the opener are they uh you know are they getting ready potentially not have him they're not saying but i think that he'll find a way to get on the field soon and i believe that ryan griffin is still pretty good and i think that steven anderson is a nice weapon at tight end receiving tight end and look, with their wide receiver situation, they might have to play him at receiver in some of the sets they run. Uh, but you're right, the Dorowitz has been so good for them. The last year has just been an eye opener. He and Griffin, 50 plus catches each, and they had the best tight end season as a group in the history of the franchise, and they had Owen Daniels around for a bunch of years. So uh, I think it's a good group. They want the group to be together. And but let, let's be honest, let's just start over here. It's all about running the football for this team. Bill O'Brien still wants to bludgeon the opponent on the ground because he knows everything's going to feed off of that. And I think Lamar Miller 
is uh, is primed for a big season. They want to reduce the workload. If they can get Deontay Foreman healthy, that would be huge because, I mean, he looks like he has starter potential for sure based on some of his preseason reps. Once they put the pads on, he started to really make some serious production, not only as a runner but as a pass receiver. So they need him back badly. I'm not so sure what his status is. Mark, uh, I'm glad to hear that uh, everything is okay with the family, the house, everything like that. Get back here when it gets safer. We're looking forward to uh, to having you back, to watching a game against the Dallas Cowboys in uh, Dallas this time. Obviously in Arlington, we will see that. Uh, or not at Arlington. Where's I can't remember where the stadium is. It is Arlington. It is Arlington. Well, it's there and it's not here, but uh, yeah. that's the way it has to be right now. But certainly um, this community is pretty resilient, as you know, from, from past uh, difficulties. And we will certainly bounce back, and we look forward to having the Texans back here in week one to take on the Jacksonville Jaguars and to hear your voice again. You've been the play-by-play announcer for every year of the franchise's existence. You've done a great job. And uh, looking forward to the fundraiser as well in the preseason game on Thursday. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks, Lance. Thanks, Anthony. Take care. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Tune in puts you on the sidelines for the 2017 college football season free all year long. With college football on TuneIn, hear the home and away calls for more than 100 schools live, regular season matchups and rivalry games, conference championships and bowl games, the college football playoff in January. You can listen to it all for free. At home, on campus, or in rival territory, hear the excitement and pageantry of college football all season long, free on TuneIn. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Catch the show live weekdays from 4 to 7 Eastern time. Matthew Stafford received an extension to make him the highest paid player in the NFL. And now Anthony Becht and I will discuss the changing quarterback market for others. That is the man, Matthew Stafford. He is now the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Actually, the highest paid player ever in the NFL. The quarterback from the Detroit Lions. Five years one hundred and thirty-five million. I'm Lance Zerline, and I don't have one hundred and thirty-five billion. That's Anthony Beck, and he doesn't either. But we are going to be here on NFL No Huddle and on the NFL on TuneIn, sitting in for Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Thank you so much for joining us today. We've got three hours. We've got Justin Rogers coming on in a little bit to talk about the Detroit Lions and Matthew Stafford, and that certainly is one of the big stories around the NFL. Boy, that's it's really an interesting storyline and narrative that I don't think most would have anticipated once Calvin Johnson shut it down because he was because Matt Stafford had become so dependent upon um Calvin Johnson and and really too much so it was one of those situations where I think it was at the hindrance of the Lions offense and once Calvin Johnson went away and he had to Matt Stafford had to rediscover the rest of the field and rediscover going through his progressions and trusting other guys in that field I think he actually became a better quarterback and maybe the offense was helped in some way for the Lions when they realized you know what let's broaden this thing out a little bit and uh, I think that was one of the I think that's an interesting story Anthony it's not covered too much is that the loss of Calvin Johnson really I think helped push Matthew Stafford into a positive direction as a quarterback well you're right I mean look they had a ton of guys have breakout seasons I mean Golden Tate had huge numbers uh, 90 plus catches but uh, you know Eric uh, Ebram uh, eight, I believe he had uh, 60 catches last year. And then, you know, Anquan, who's no longer there, eight TDs. I mean, you're talking about, you're right, spreading it out, being able to kind of, 
expand the skill that you are instead of leaning on that one guy who, listen, I mean, they, they made some tremendous plays together during their run. But uh, you're right. I mean, I think we all expected a huge drop-off uh, as far as, you know, what it would look like uh, for him and how he would develop uh, that kind of relationship with other players, even out of the backfield. I mean, you know, Theo Riddick had 50-plus catches and five touchdown catches out of the backfield. So, uh, again, it's enhanced his game. And there's no question that, you know, when you look at what he's really done in Detroit – you know, whether it starts with, uh, you know, coming off the season where they first drafted him, where they didn't have a win and battling injuries the first couple of years and then, you know, getting 10 wins in, in 2011 and and then kind of battling some ups and downs where they didn't have any offensive linemen, no one to protect him, you know, getting sacked uh, and just trying to find ways to get a running game. I mean, do, do they still yet not have a running game? I mean, that's, you know, they, they, they drafted Amir Abdullah and, you know, they – he was hurt last year. You know, imagine if this guy was able to have some type of a running game that was consistent. I want to say I heard today, uh, Lance, that only like six 100-yard games or seven since he's been there. I, don't quote me on that, but I, it was a staggering number uh, to think of. And then to look at the numbers, I mean, 30,000-plus yards he's thrown for, uh, you know, and, and then people, uh, you know, break it down even more. You know, I, I heard a record uh, today that, you know, his record against teams with winning records is, is terrible. I mean, he just hasn't beat a lot of teams with winning records. But um, whatever that facet is, without him, this team's not even on the map. So, uh, you know, when you have a guy that's in that world and, you know, some people say he's elite, some guys say he's right on the threshold, it's hard to find quarterbacks right now. Guys aren't getting pu- pulled out of the draft uh, guys aren't, you know, instantly uh, turning organizations around. They're just hard to find. And when you go look at college, I mean, the future is you don't know. I mean, it's a lot of spread. So uh, when you got one, you got to pay him. And unfortunately, he's the guy that's up next. So his contract's going to be just slightly more than the next guy. Mm-hmm. And then all these other uh, – mom anxious to see where, like, the breezes and the, and the rivers, how they're kind of rated – you know, because they're older, you know, their, their time's going to come at the end of their tail end, you know, how they're kind of paid. Do they just automatically get like the three-year deals at a higher number or how it's going to work out? But it just seems like that that's going to be the trend at this position. Well, you, I mean, Drew Brees is well paid now, but that's going to be coming to an end soon. And, you know, I, I think that's a good point. You really wonder what Drew Brees is going to fetch because he's still a very good quarterback, obviously. And yeah, the stats look great for Matthew Stafford. And last year, you know, 24 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. That doesn't look, you know, that's not overly impressive, but he completed 65% of his passes. He had his lowest interception percentage as a full-time starter in the league and he he was a good he was a good quarterback last year, but like you said, it really doesn't matter because you once you get to a certain level of of good you have you're going to get paid and if you're a team you have to suck it up and pay just like Joe Flacco after he you know helped to the Baltimore Ravens obviously win that Super Bowl a few years back we all knew he was going to get a big payday and and what are you going to do if you're the the Baltimore Ravens that whole you know joke came out of, is Joe Flacco elite well Joe Flacco of course is not elite but he got paid a huge amount of money and you almost had to do it on the heels of him winning a Super Bowl, even if you didn't feel like he was one of the elite quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, it's a tough kind of – it's it's a cycle, and the numbers are so big 
Um, you know, I, I, I want these guys to get as many dollars as possible because that, that's the whole goal uh, in this whole thing. Uh, but it's to the point now it's, you know, there's that, that echelon of quarterbacks. And I think it's more the those guys on the cusp, right? Because we all, you know, like the, the Tom Brady's of the world, and, and we can bring up these rankings, but he's not even close to that number uh, from a standpoint of what, uh, what he makes compared to the uh, other quarterbacks in the league. But, you know, it's it's the guys like, you know, I mean, Kirk Cousins. I mean, you know, the, he's – I would say, would you say he's elite? I don't say he's there yet, but he's on that threshold. And, you know, what what's he going to demand? I mean, you're talking about a guy that is going to be on the open market that – not only will he – the team that you know, is paying him now will probably try to, you know, get him back for sure. But, uh, you know, there's going to be some leverage there. There's going to be some other teams – uh, you know, in particular, the 49ers who who might be throwing a ton of cash his way and he could, you know, blow away the number, you know, it could just be an all, another all time high get set. So be interesting to see how this is this pans out for other guys. But, you know, the, I listened to Stafford's interview today, uh, his press conference. And, you know, to me, man, he just seems like he's just like a good dude that this doesn't affect his life in a way that's like. All this cash. I mean, look, he's been getting paid regardless. He's just getting a lot more now. But he, he's very even keel. He's very, uh, you know, he loves the game. He's all dialed in with football. I mean, you can tell why the, the Lions kind of made this a no-brainer because he kind of just he embodies everything you want from a guy that is all about organization, all about team first, all about winning. And the way he plays, to be quite honest with you, Lance, he's tough, plays hurt. You know, he stands in the pocket and delivers a pass. He's an athlete. He'll run it. I mean, he does so many things for you. And, uh, you know, I love his game. I think his game's great. And, you know, he's the kind of quarterback, if, if you're going to pay one and you're in that, that world where you're kind of like 8-8, eight and 9-7, eight, and seven, trying to get over the hump, you can definitely continue to build off him, at least for the next six years of his deal. Well, I – I'm I'm kind of the same way with Kirk Cousins. I had I had my doubts. You look at the last two years. Okay, seventeen, fourteen, and one as a starter. But the guy's completed over over the last two years as a starter. He's completed over sixty eight percent of his passes. He has fifty four touchdowns to twenty three interceptions. Uh, his yards per attempt over the last two seasons as a starter has been seven point seven and eight point one. Uh, he's done something that's interesting. It's and he's okay with it. You've got the franchise. He got the franchise tag the first year, which you know you got the the top three quarterbacks in the NFL. I think it's top three, right? Not top five. Is top three on the franchise, yep. and then um, he gets franchised again for the second year in a row. That's fine. Not interested in doing a long term deal at the Redskins price. He said he does something that most NFL players don't do. He says I'm willing to bet on myself in the short term, take all this guaranteed money, and let's see what happens next year. Most guys are saying I want the long term deal, I want the guaranteed money up front. And Kirk Cousins now has played it the opposite way, and he stands to make substantially more money because of it. He said year one franchise tag, good, I'll take the money. Year two franchise tag, good, I'll take the money. And next year, as you just mentioned, the L word, leverage. He's got all the leverage in the world. He's got Terrell Pryor over with them now, who I think is going to be a big addition. He clearly can 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 
put some huge numbers up, even without a great running game, which we, we've seen the last couple of seasons. I think Kirk Cousins is going to play his way into a mega deal over the course of last year, this year, and future contract, just because he's been willing to go year by year and not settle for a lower dollar contract. And we all want to find reasons that, well, maybe he's a game manager. Well, Kirk Cousins is good, but he's... Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback. He, I mean, he really is. I, I don't know where he slots right now, Anthony, but I think he's a pretty good quarterback. And when I was in watching NFL Pro Tape this summer, and I watched a game against, uh, I think it was the Cowboys, and then against the Eagles, man, he is an accurate, accurate quarterback and can really spin the ball. Listen, they're hard to find. And, you know, whatever Washington's thoughts were as far as you know, letting this thing drag out or, you know, putting the tag on him. I mean, look, regardless, he, he's he's in a place now where he can bank on himself because between last year and this year, he'll make, uh, you know, just over 40, you know, about $42 million just in those two seasons alone, period, which, you know, if, if God forbid something were to happen, I think he's going to be okay, right? We can both agree on that. He'll but be okay. You're right. I mean, you're talking about those numbers are going to be tiny compared – to what he's got coming his way. So, you know, look, if he stays healthy, even if something were to happen, you know, I, I mean, listen, MCLs, ACL, those things, guys come back, especially quarterback positions. I mean, those things, I mean, we've seen Tom Brady do it. I mean, those things come. So it's not like all end all end all there. So he, he, that deal is is going to come. And, you know, I like guys that kind of put it on the, put it on themselves to perform and go out there and, and uh, you know, and, and put it put it on their back to say, listen, I'm going to let it ride. But you know, and the background too, it's not as hard when you've done what you've done from last season's salary and this year's salary. But you're right, you got to lock guys like this up. You cannot you cannot think for one second that if Kirk Cousins was not in Washington, where would you be? What are you going to do? I mean, you're very fortunate even to have him in the first place when you drafted him the same year you drafted uh, Robert. Griffith, I mean, you know, did you ever think Kirk Cousins was going to touch the field after Robert Griffin's first year? <laughs> no, right? You would have never even thought it was. You're almost disappointed that he got picked there. Like I kind of had that same feeling. I was a big Connor Cook guy, mm-hmm. and when the and when the, the Raiders draft, I was like, oh man, he's never going to play. But you never know how this thing works out, man. And you know, again, he, he paid his dues. He waited. He was making minimum three hundred, four hundred, five hundred, and all of a sudden, bam! You're you're the guy. And, uh, you know, he's earned every dollar of it going out there and doing his thing. And uh, it'd be crazy to me if, if he wouldn't be on the Redskins ne- next year because it, it might look that way right now that he may not. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Let TuneIn bring you home. With TuneIn's local radio browse feature, listen to live FM and AM radio stations from your home area as if you've never left town. Spend the day listening to your favorite stations and hosts, local news and talk shows, and familiar voices that you've grown to love. Or maybe you're missing that morning drive show that gets you to the office. Your go-to hip-hop station with special guest DJs. Or maybe sports talk about your favorite team. Then catch your hometown favorites with local radio on TuneIn. With TuneIn, you can go home again. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Catch the show live weekdays from 4 to 7 Eastern Time. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Lance Zerline, joined by Anthony Beck. And right here, we're going to chat more about Matthew Stafford's extension with Justin Rogers from the Detroit News. Welcome into the show, Justin Lance Zerline here along with Anthony Beck. And let's, let's get right into it. Anthony and I talked earlier about uh, Matthew Stafford and his kind of his, his spot in the pecking order of NFL quarterbacks. And it seemed like to me 
once Calvin Johnson moved on, Matthew Stafford, and I think this was this was uh, something that really helped his progress as a quarterback. He had to learn to trust other guys in the field. He had to learn to look at other spots in the field, get through progressions again. And I felt like it made him a better overall quarterback uh, once he no longer could rely on his 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 safety net, his his safety blanket, Calvin Johnson. Yeah, I think the evolution probably even started a half season before that, uh, the last half season with Calvin when when Jim Bob Cooter you know, brought in as the offensive coordinator, he saw a really sharp incline in, in his completion percentage. I believe he finished that season the last eight games with an 18 touchdowns, two interception ratio, you know, just MVP-like numbers. And then Calvin retires, and, and they replace him with with quantity uh, to go along with that quality. So you have so many weapons that none are maybe Tier 1 weapons, but a ton of Tier 2 weapons in Marvin Jones, Golden Tate, Eric Ebron, Theo Riddick, so many options that can win matchups, which is what the NFL is all about. And Stafford learned, or you know, showcased at least the ability to take advantage of that. Yeah, you know. Speaking I, of I, Lions I, offense coordinator yeah. uh, Jim Bob Cooter, he was actually, if I remember correctly, he is. Doesn't he have issues? Uh, no, no, no. That's it's Joe Marciano who is special teams. Joe Mar- Marciano has the connections here in Houston, and he's got the potential issues with uh, Hurricane Harvey, if I remember correctly, right? He he does. Yeah, his family was was evacuated earlier this week. Uh, you know, probably find on most NFL rosters, there's some level of connection. Glover Quinn, former player down there, still calls Houston home. His wife and three children are um, in Richmond and little little tied up because of some of the roads being uh, flooded down there, but. Um, you know, as, as far as I've been able to ascertain from the Lions roster, um, everybody that they're connected with is, is safe at this time. So, Justin, let's talk a little bit about this, more about the Stafford deal. You know, you, you kind of people have been kind of swayed. Some say, you know, listen, he's on that echelon where he's almost kind of elite, not quite elite, but yet it's kind of where you're at right now. You can't find that kind of quarterback. The numbers are big. But then you have the other side that look at his record, wins against winning te- uh, winning record against teams with winning records, not very good. Uh, you know, and, and look at some of the, the playoff success, not very good. How would you kind of sum it all up and, and make it sound as if, you know, this is the right thing, or, or do you feel differently? No, I, I do think it's the right thing. You know, I, I think it's, it's one of those situations where um, you're, you're almost pigeonholed into making the, this decision. Uh, listen, we, we, we realize looking at teams like Cleveland or currently the Jets, Buffalo, Houston, teams that have struggled to find a quarterback for years, it's, it's really difficult. It's a lottery ticket every time you go into that draft or uh, hope that, that some mid-tier free agent is going to take that step into the, uh, you know, the elite starter category. It's, it's just very difficult in this league to find a quarterback. Uh, as I mentioned, the last uh, 18 or, or season and a half, for Stafford, he's he's really started trending toward what I think everybody thought he'd be when he came out as the number one overall pick in 2009. Um, is is he elite? Nope, he's not. You know, I think he's he's clearly in that that tier two category. And then you look at the team success. Yeah, it is the the hole in his resume. But I know both of you know, and um, you know, probably many of your listeners know that that football really is the ultimate team game. I know we like to, to praise the quarterback for, for carrying teams because uh, nobody touches the ball more than the quarterback. But, uh, you know, they do shoulder too much of the blame and they, they do get too much of the praise often 
for a team's success. This, is a, this was a team that was 0-16 when Stafford came here, completely depleted, devoid of talent outside of Calvin Johnson. Um, they've, they've gone to the playoffs three times in the last five years. They're, they're trending in the right direction. You know, if you took Stafford off that roster last year, I, I would strongly contend that that team wins two games. So, so to me, if you want to use a baseball term, Stafford's worth six to seven wins above replacement. Um, you know, that, that's about as much as you can ask from the quarterback. It's about getting more depth, more talent around him on, on both sides of the ball, and that's general manager Bob Quinn's task. Yeah, but, you know, I, I think it is worth mentioning at least that by the time Matt Staff Matt Stafford is not even remotely cuttable until uh, he's 33 years old, uh, until after he's 33, until he's 34 years old. So, and that would be the last year of his deal. He's going to be set to earn in the neighborhood of $300 million when he's all done. And, of course, it, it is worth noting he was drafted in 2009 when the old uh, wage scale was in place, not the new rookie wage scale. So he signed a six-year, $72 million deal when it was first started with $78 million if you add the escalators and incentives. So, you know, clearly from a dollar standpoint, People are going to look at him as as potentially the highest paid quarterback in the history of the game. I think he's going to end up being that. So I, I don't think it's necessarily unfair at the end of that body of work to say, how successful were you at leading your offense and in leading your team to victories? It's, it is not just a quarterback's job. We understand there's both sides of the ball. Um, but I do think that ultimately he is going to be viewed with a little different lens and a little different filter because of that huge amount of money that's going to be tied to his name when, when his playing career is done. No, I think it's it's absolutely a fair criticism. You know, I think we look at great quarterbacks like Dan Marino even and, and not having that, that Super Bowl victory, uh, you know, holds him back from being in that, that conversation of greatest all time. Uh, with, with Stafford, there's not even a playoff win on the resume, and that's that's a really um, damning criticism. You know, he led eight come-from-behind victories last year. You know he can do it in the clutch. Uh, the, the statistics have gotten better every year. He he just needs to have that team success to really complete the, the resume. And to this point, you know, you look at the roster last year, not a single Pro Bowler on that roster. You know, it says something that a team without a Pro Bowler is able to get to the playoffs. You know, I, I think, you know, you, you look at the coach and you look at the, the quarterback there and, and you say they, you know, probably did a, a pretty damn good job if that was the scenario they were dealt with. But, you know, he has had three cracks in the postseason and, uh, you know, had a really good opportunity to get it done in Dallas. The game last year, I know he had the broken finger, but that was a tight game going into the fourth quarter and they let it slip away. Uh, didn't do anything offensively. You know, he needs to step up and be bigger in those big moments. How about uh, look? Let's look at uh, you know some of the weapons. Obviously, that he's been producing the ball, and obviously you're getting Ibram back. Looks like he got uh, back to practice this week. What's his status? And talk about you know uh, called your the the Jets uh, game against you guys in Detroit, and Kenny Galladay was was a big name, a hot topic uh, after that first preseason game, and he looks like he may get some reps with the ones. Talk about those two players, Eric coming back, and Kenny's potential of being a guy that can make an impact. Yeah, Ebron tweaked his hamstring in the, the first uh, training camp practice and, and really has been out since. Uh, so it's a you know a young player that has kind of had a lot of these nicks and bruises over his early stages of his career, and I think the Lions, more than anything, just took extreme precaution with him. They didn't want that hamstring injury, you know, an injury that tends to linger to carry into the regular season. 
the young player has gotten better every single season in terms of production. Uh, the, the, the touchdowns went down last year with Anquan Bolden vacuuming a lot of those up, but in terms of receptions, in terms of yardage, uh, he's gotten better every year, and he's starting to, to slowly live up to that first-round draft label. As for Galladay, you know, if you look at the depth chart and you look at all the weapons Lions have, in reality, he's probably going to be the fifth or sixth weapon in their offense, which is kind of crazy to think. I think the, the hype for him uh, got pretty high because he was one of those rookies that came in and did everything right, won his matchups against the second-team defense, the third-team defense, worked his way up the depth chart through the, the process you'd like to see. But once he gets in there, he is going to get first-team reps. He's going to see some first-team reps as the third receiver. They'll move Golden Tate into the slot in those three wide receiver sets. But I, I still would be surprised if he finishes with much more than, than 40 receptions as a rookie. Curious if uh, if you know if the Lions were able to get their hands on any Rams tape because I see that Greg Robinson starting left tackle, and uh, this on the heels of a five year one hundred thirty five million dollar uh, right handed quarterback who has a blind side that happens to be on that side. I'm concerned because I know Taylor Decker is injured, and I, I want to ask you about his status. But uh, are the Lions okay with uh, Cyrus Quanja was just cut, so they're okay? with uh, Greg Robinson, and if not, do you think that they will say that Cornelius Lucas, that they will default to Cornelius Lucas quickly if Robinson has the same issues that he had with the Rams? No, I, th- I think Robinson's actually going to have a, a fairly long leash here uh, with, with Decker out. They really like his athleticism. They believe that the change of scenery is, is going to be a, a big uh, correcting factor to his game, and uh, you know, listen, it hasn't been easy for Robinson. It's, he's switching schemes. He's learning a new playbook. He's learning or, or being asked to play a different technique than what he played in Los Angeles, all while missing the important growing moments of, of minicamp and OTA is the time where you know, most, most players that are acquired uh, really get a feel for their fit within a scheme. Uh, he, he struggled pretty mightily for the first two weeks of, of training camp. But once you got in the preseason game, you, you kind of saw how he fits in the scheme. Uh, his, his pass protections looked better. He's not wasting a lot of motion. And then the other good thing about the Lions and, and having Stafford versus, you know, the, the slew of different quarterbacks that the Rams have, have rolled out there in recent years is, you know, the, the Lions offense, the passing game is predicated on, on quick hits. You know, they're, they're not looking downfield a whole lot during the average game. Stafford's one of the fastest in the league behind uh, you know, guys like Tom Brady and, and getting rid of the football. So really all Robinson has to do is be fundamentally sound for about 2.2 seconds. And I know it's not a big difference. You know, you're talking about a quarter of a second, but a quarter of a second is a huge difference in terms of average time to throw between one team and the next in the NFL. Well, it'll be uh, interesting John- to see how the Lions are able to, uh, to take care of that. Anthony, one thing that I know that you wanted to, something that, that we, we talked about the Lions defense is there a guy who's more explosive who, in terms of how quickly he transitioned from college as a potential diamond in the rough to explosive player than Ziggy Ansah? Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, I, I, I remember going down to the Senior Bowl, and uh, you know that's where Ansah's momentum really started to pick up. People were talking about him as a fringe first-round guy at that point, and uh, once they saw how he went from almost lost in that first practice, the Lions – coaching staff was down there. So I had, you know, a little bit more time to focus. He, he was almost lost running through the, the drills that the coaches were putting him through that first day. By the end of the week, he was so fluid. And then that game, uh, I, I believe could be wrong, but I think he won the MVP of that game. So um, his transition to the NFL level, 
he's got all the, the physical tools you can want in a player. I mean, speed, power, size. Um, you know, he is the prototypical defensive end. The only thing that's probably working against him is, uh, one, his durability, and you know, two, he just hasn't seen it all yet. There's just not – there's something to be said about the, the value of experience and, and seeing the different ways guys play you. But Gunther Cunningham, the former defensive coordinator for the Lions, he's won his durability, and you know, two, he just hasn't seen it all yet. There's just not – there's something to be said about the, the value of experience and, and seeing the different ways guys play you. But Gunther Cunningham, the former defensive coordinator for the Lions, used to say the thing he loved about Ansa is he hadn't played long enough to have bad habits ingrained. So he was able to basically retrain him from scratch. And, um, you know, we've seen the, the potency of, of his ability on the field with, with 14 and a half sacks in that third season, eight in his first two. Last year, he was completely, the production was completely set by a high ankle sprain. It's another guy where he's been nicked up. This, this training camp has been a pup list all year, but you know, I, I think he's been closer to healthy here for the last couple of weeks. Lions are just not taking any risk with him. They think he, he can, uh, you know, drop him in there with a few practices and, and he'll be ready to go. Justin, I, you know, I got to talk to Terrell Austin. You know, we go way back to Big East days when he was at Syracuse and I was at West Virginia. And as we went through the league and I was like, man, you know, tell me some of these fresh, the fresh blood, these guys. And I, and I look at two players, one a free agent and, the, and a rookie, you know, he really, his eyes kind of got big when I mentioned Jared Davis. You know, he might not have all the answers yet, and you look at the production of your linebackers last year. I mean, no sacks, no interceptions. He's a serious upgrade, and he really feels good about him. And then on the free agent side, when I turn the tape back on and watch the film of the Jets game, Akeem Spence, who was in Tampa, and I cover Tampa down here also, who didn't really get his opportunities, he was dominating the line of scrimmage. And I know there's a little bit of buzz about maybe they might have found something there in free agency with his play. Yeah, Spence looked incredible in that game against the Jets. There's there's no doubt his burst off the ball. Defensive linemen just love playing in Detroit, particularly the interior linemen, because they're not asked to play on their heels. They're not asked to read. They're asked to attack. You know, and every player wants to make plays. And so you tell a defensive lineman, a 300-pound guy, to go out there and get the ball, to attack your gap with passion and be disruptive in the backfield, who wouldn't want to play in that scheme? And and he's shown, uh, you know, d- despite maybe some uh, negative or underwhelming scouting reports coming in, that, that he has the potential to to thrive in, in this defensive scheme. He looked really good in that Jets game. Uh, unfortunately, he, uh, the Lions lost Jordan Hill this week. It was another young, a little bit undersized, pass-rushing defensive tackle. That pairing with Spence was, was looking very potent together. Um, he, he's been ruled out for the year. As for Davis, uh, I, I had read everything about his football character coming in. Uh, obviously, I, I love your scouting reports on, on NFL.com. I read them every year, so there's that. Oh, th- but um, Thanks, I appreciate it. Yeah, but the, 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 the reports were as, as accurate as I've ever heard them. This guy is a coach's dream. He says all the right things. He does all the right things. He is a charismatic and natural leader. He's got the physical gifts. Um, and, and listen, he's a rookie. He's playing a very difficult position in middle linebacker. You're the, the general of that defense, and uh, you, you're going to see the ups and downs. You saw him in the third preseason game. Brady made him look silly on a couple pass routes um, on, on guys crossing his face. He got caught flat-footed, got burned badly. He's going to learn from those mistakes. Uh, he he said all the right things after that game about how you know it was good to be embarrassed like that and how he's going to learn from it. 
Um, I, I just think the world of Jared Davis, I think he's going to be an outstanding football player. It might not be year one, but you know, once, once he gets his feet wet and he gets that experience and he's seen some things and adjusted to the, the speed and the strength of, of NFL players, I, I think he's going to be uh, a good player in this league for a long time. That is Justin Rogers from the Detroit News talking some Lions football. Justin, man, thanks for so much for joining us here on NFL Know How to We appreciate it. Hey, anytime, fellas. Appreciate you having me. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Hey, it's Anthony Valadez. We have a new music channel exclusively on TuneIn, Indieclectic. It's home for the emerging and boundary-pushing artists, from soul to electronic, folk to world sounds, hip-hop to jazz. Music should inspire you. It should challenge you and make you feel some sort of way. All hand-picked gems from the likes of Nick Hakim. The bands that are featured on the record are all bands that I plan. What's next? British sensation Jaybird stopped by for a live session and a performance of her single, Cathedral. I heard it from the island of the cathedral. Baby, I was gonna break your heart. Latin alternative breakout artist H.L. stopped by to discuss his inspiration. There's been many phases in my life now since Harlem, but it definitely pushes me. And then going downtown, you can't get in a club, you know, you're outside. And then you see like Kid Cudi going inside, you know, just seeing all that being right next to you, people rubbing shoulders, knowing that it's possible. It's all encouraging. From the record bins to the blogosphere and into your ears, it's Indieclectic, heard exclusively on TuneIn. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Catch the show live weekdays from 4 to 7 Eastern time. Hi, I'm Lance Zerline, and up next on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, Anthony Becht and myself chat fantasy football with Michael Fabiano from NFL Network. From NFL.com and NFL Media Group, it is Michael Fabiano as we talk about all things fantasy football. Michael, you know, in an article not that long ago, you talked about the fantasy football breakout players, and really, when it's all said and done, and I've been in fantasy football for a long time, obviously you have as well, you really, these are the guys that get you off to the big starts. I'm a firm believer that the waiver wire is really how you how you finish a season and, and get into the playoffs, but finding the breakout stars and projecting those, those stocks, kind of like on a stock market, the next big stock to take off, when you can do that, that's how you gain the upper hand on everyone else and get out of the gates quickly, and, and you've got a list of several players, and at the top of your list, I think is very interesting because this flies in the face of conventional fantasy football wisdom, and that is a running back, Leonard Fournette, at number one, despite the fact that he's not exactly running behind the same offensive line that Zeke Elliott ran behind as a rookie with the Dallas Cowboys. Talk about why you made Leonard Fournette your number one breakout star. Well, partially it's it's going to be volume. Uh, he, he is going to see most of the carries in that backfield. And we've heard Doug Marone say that they just want to run the ball. They would run the ball in every play. Why is that? Well, they've got a guy as talented as Fournette in their backfield, and they've got a quarterback who throws the ball to the wrong team too often in Blake Portal, so they want to be able to control the clock, and they want to do that with Fournette. He will not be Ezekiel Elliott. That does not happen very often. I mean, Zeke's rookie season was on plane with, like, Clinton Portis and Edgerin James and Matt Forte. Fournette won't be Zeke. But he will be good enough to be an RB1, RB2 right on that borderline. And is there a risk taking a rookie running back in the first round? Certainly. There absolutely is. Uh, it was worth it last year with Zeke. But, again, that, that was an outlier. Uh, those kind of seasons don't typically happen from rookie running backs. But we've also got a class of rookies that is unbelievable at this position. I was in the draft a couple of nights ago. 
and five rookie running backs came off the board in the first 40 picks. I don't think that's ever happened before in a fantasy draft that I've ever been in. Uh, I understand that Fournette has some question marks, course quarterback but on the offensive line I think he's talented enough to at least overcome some of that and be a guy who can rush for 1100 yards and eight touchdowns in Jacksonville you've got and speaking of you got five running backs in your top eight breakout players and that also includes Kareem Hunt at number three and obviously his stock went up with you know the injury with Spencer Ware Big time. Uh, yep yeah, Dalvin Cook at number six with the with the Vikings, Joe Mixon with the Bengals, and then Christian McCaffrey with the Panthers, especially in PPR leagues. I think he's a big one. But you know, I want to I want to point to number four, the guy who's not the running back. As a matter of fact, you're only non running back inside your top uh, top nine, and I love this one, Terrell Pryor. I think mm-hmm. Pryor and um, and Kirk Cousins are going to be an unbelievable duo this year from a fantasy standpoint and just a regular football standpoint. Yeah, I agree. And his stock has actually dropped a little bit because his preseason wasn't very spectacular, but I don't put too much stock into that. I mean, you look at a team that lost over 200 wide receiver targets in the offseason and Pierre Garçon and Deshaun Jackson going into new teams. You bring in Terrell Pryor, who had a 1,000-yard season with five quarterbacks in Cleveland, none of which made much of a fantasy impact. Uh, And now you upgrade him to Jay Gruden's offense. They're going to throw the football. Kirk Cousins, major upgrade at the quarterback position. And I understand that you also have Jay Jameson Crowder there and Jordan Reed uh, and Josh Doxson, but I do believe that Terrell Pryor is going to see far, uh, far more targets than any other wide receiver in that offense. And this guy's a beast. Uh, and what an athletic player, a guy who is a quarterback. I actually started Terrell Pryor as a quarterback in fantasy leagues a few seasons ago with the Raiders, <laughs> and now uh, he is clearly one of the top 20 wide receivers in fantasy football and a guy who is in a very good position uh, to put up career numbers across the board. Michael Anthony Beck here, and let's just stay on the receiver topic. Obviously, it's uh, a huge loss for the Patriots with Julian Edelman's injury. Uh, we were arguing or you know, conversating yesterday about who's the next guy, who fills the void, who gets those catches. I seem to think it was collective, but uh, who takes the biggest jump in, in the rankings after that? I, I believe you're right. It is going to be collective, but at wide receiver – Chris Hogan is the player who has seen the biggest jump in value. And you know, Hogan and Edelman are two different players. Uh, Hogan's going to stretch the field a little bit more. Edelman's a guy who's going to play the slot uh, and, and see passes in the, you know, in the middle of the field. But when you look at their wide receivers, Danny Amendola – Amendola has shown flashes in his career, but injuries have always been an issue. Malcolm Mitchell's got some upside too, but I believe Hogan is the best playmaker out of that trio, and he will be the guy who's going to come in and see more snaps, more targets. He will not be Julian Edelman, uh, and as and as you mentioned, this is going to be sort of a collective effort. Uh, Brandon Cooks could see some more targets in the offense. And you've got some good pass-catching running backs in New England. James White, the Super Bowl hero. Uh, Deion Lewis is in the mix there as well. Rex Burkhead. Uh, that could be a confusing situation from a fantasy perspective, but uh, the Patriots have so many talented pass-catchers in the offense. I wouldn't expect all of Edelman's 150-plus targets from last year to go to just one player. And remember, he did that uh, with Rob Gronkowski out for most of 2016. So Chris Hogan's now clearly on the draft radar, but I still wouldn't take him as more than a four or a five, depending on the size of your league.
You know, Michael, my son's uh, 13, and he wanted to have his draft, like, literally last week. And I told him, man, you got to hold off. You know, the injuries and uh, at the end of the preseason, things start piling up. How do you gauge, uh, for instance, you know, obviously in in Baltimore and with Indianapolis, with Andrew Luck, you know, how does it affect, uh, you know, looking at those quarterbacks, number one, when there's so much question and swirling, when exactly they'll come in? And then how does that impact the receivers on those teams as far as, again, when, when people are trying to get their draft together? and selecting and figuring out these are you know if these are accountable guys or not yeah these, these situations are tough I, Flacco it looks like he's going to be back for week one and Macklin and Wallace sort of they haven't moved one way or the other at the wide receiver position you're not drafting these guys as anything more than probably fours and Wallace maybe even a five but the Indianapolis situation is that is a dubious one because we don't know what Andrew Luck's status is. We don't know if he's going to be under center in week one. At this point, I would guess no. And there's a chance he could end up staying on the PUP list. There's a chance he could miss three starts. We, we just don't know at this point. And because of that uncertainty, he's dropped in drafts to the point where he is not even being picked in 10-team leagues in the first 10 rounds. The, the quarterback position is so deep that – you don't really have to take a risk on a guy like Andrew Luck because the position has players like Kirk Cousins, for example, who was a top-ten quarterback last year, probably not going to get drafted into the 10th or 11th round. Dak Prescott, top-ten quarterback last year, probably not going to get drafted until the 9th or 10th round. The the position is really deep, so people are not going to risk taking a chance on a player with a bad shoulder who may or may not be under center in the first month of the season. They're just not going to do that. And if you take a chance on him, it's probably going to happen in the 11th round. At that point, I could, I can absolutely see that. Then you cover yourself with a Stafford or a Cousins. You can do that. At the wide receiver position and running back position, you can't fool yourself and think that Scott Tolzien is going to be able to help these guys produce like an Andrew Luck. The talent drop-off is huge. So across the board, you have to concern yourself with T.Y. Hilton, who is a number one fantasy wide receiver. Now he's sort of fallen into the fourth round. And Dante Moncrief, potential breakout guy who – always seems to have issues staying healthy, but when he's on the field, he's a touchdown machine. He's dropping in drafts, too. Frank Gore, uh, the, the energizer bunny among fantasy running backs. The guy just he just keeps on going and going and going, but you have to think that Andrew Luck being under center is keeping defenses honest, and with Scott Tolzien under center, that's not going to be the case. I'm seeing every single member of the Colts offense who's draftable in fantasy leagues dropping maybe it's not a significant drop sometimes it is but everyone is dropping it's been a domino effect because we just don't know what the status of luck is and a lot of people are fearing the worst i I consider fantasy drafts i handle fantasy drafts the same way i handle the nfl draft and that is there are certain guys who i basically say i'm going to rank them According to, you know, a, a macro view of where they should be ranked, but I'm not touching this guy. I don't care if I think he should be a, a fifth You're round wide receiver. I simply won't touch him. And I do the same thing on my NFL draft stuff where I say, okay, I'll put a third round or fourth round grade on this wide receiver or offensive tackle, but I would never draft him if I were a general manager. And I think the Colts almost, other than maybe Frank Gore, I think, and, and T.Y. Hilton, and that's only because he's liable to see some volume. I just right. wouldn't touch him. I mean, why in the world would you even take a chance right now with the Colts? Because I don't think there's any way that luck is a factor for the early part of the season. 
No, I completely agree with you. And with T.Y., you're right about the volume because he's going to still see targets. The targets are not going to be coming from Luck. They'll be coming from Tolzing, but they're targets nonetheless. And he's dropped just a few spots at wide receiver. I'm still seeing him drafted in the top 30 or 40. Uh, with Gore, everyone after last season talked about how underrated he was in fantasy, and that's been true. But now you're seeing him dropping past the sixth and seventh round, whereas before, when we all thought Luck was going to be fine, he was a top 50 to 60 pick. That's not the case now. And again, Gore is a guy who's probably going to be leaned on a little bit more often, but is he going to see that eighth man in the box constantly because defenses are going to make Scott Tolzien beat them? And another thing with Gore, too, which you have to remember from last year, we saw Robert Turbin seeing more goal line work and more red zone opportunities and that's been an issue and that that's going to hurt Gore's ceiling but you're exactly right the risk is huge there now it's different with Ezekiel Elliott Ezekiel Elliott comes at a position that is near not nearly as deep uh, at the quarterback as the quarterback position is and you're starting two or three of these running backs every single week so even though Zeke facing a six-game suspension we'll see what happens with this appeal process he's still a guy who's coming off the board in the second round and if you want Zeke Elliott right now as things stand you're going to have to draft him there. All right, so let's forget about Zeke for a second. Let's talk about the guys who are going to replace him for, you know, four, five, maybe six games. And that would be, um, obviously, well, primarily, I guess, Darren McFadden. We'll have to see about Alfred Morris. How do you, how do you draft those guys? What kind of value do you put on guys who could have tremendous starts? Maybe one of those guys gets off to a tremendous start, but you know it will essentially go away and he'll become nothing more than a handcuff at best after that. Right. Uh, McFadden right now, uh, I'm projecting as an eighth or ninth round pick, depending on the size of your league. And, and he's going to be well worth it there. If you do draft Zeke, obviously you're going to want to target run DMC. I mean, if you look at the Cowboys in terms of the running backs over the last five years or so, you had DeMarco Murray, who had that huge season where he led everybody in touches. The year before, he was a top 10 fantasy running back. People forget about that. Uh, and then the following year, DeMarco goes to Philadelphia, and Darren McFadden comes out of basically nowhere. Everyone thought it was Joe Randall's job, but he had a two-cent head. McFadden came in and rushed for over 1,000 yards and was a very solid RB2. Then what happens last season? Zeke Elliott comes in, more talented running back, and this guy is gangbusters, a top three player at his position. That offense uh, under Scott Linehan and that offensive line have been conducive to running backs succeeding, and it hasn't mattered the talent level. Joe Randall actually wasn't bad uh, when he played. It was maybe four or five games before the Cowboys ended up cutting ties. That offensive line, that offensive scheme is is just geared towards running backs putting up big numbers. And Darren McFadden is a drop-off from Zeke Elliott. There's no doubt about that. But if you look at the change in some teams from number one to number two, this one's not that bad. I mean, McFadden is going to be started in fantasy leagues every single week until Zeke comes back, even if it's just as a flex because of the system he's in, uh, because he's a talented guy, and because of the offensive line that he's going to be running behind. Now, Alfred Morris, I would say, is more of a late-round flyer. I just believe that McFadden's going to be the bell cow for the Cowboys. You know, he's got the Arkansas ties with the Joneses, and he is just the guy that I believe will lead that team in touches out of the backfield until 
Zeke is back whenever that is. That's Michael Fabiano from NFL Network, NFL Media, NFL.com, just all the NFLs. You can follow him on Twitter <laughs> at Michael underscore Fabiano, F-A-B-I-A-N-O. Michael, thanks for joining us here on NFL No Huddle on NFL on Tune. We appreciate it. My pleasure, guys. Take care. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.